0: I'm Minka, and you're listening to The Sand Space. We are the first South African climbing podcast, we think. And we're super excited to talk to South African climbers about climbing, and also some of the tough stuff. Stick around. On the 22nd of April, 2021, Chris Costa came to chat to The Sand Space, and we couldn't be more excited about it. He sat with us for almost three hours in my living room. I had an Olympian on my couch. He did a wonderful job, not only introducing himself, but also introducing us. Effectively, this is the first episode that you'll be hearing from us. Thanks, Chris. You are actually a wonderful co-host. If you don't want to hear my rants, just skip ahead. You're not forced to sit through anything. That's the beauty of a podcast. And here's the episode. I hope you enjoy it. Hi Senders, you're listening to The Send Space. Today I've got Chris Kosser with me in my living room. It's been an absolute interesting process, getting the sound and everything ready. Hi Chris, thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really stoked to be here.
0: Okay, so let's start with some basics. Where are you from? How old are you? Okay. Where do you go to school?
1: Yeah, so I am 20 years old right now. I grew up in Johannesburg. I've lived here my whole life. Um... I like Cape Town. I want to go climbing in Cape Town a lot. <laughs> um, I went to King Edward VII School in Joburg and matriculated there. And right now I'm climbing full time.
0: It doesn't surprise me that you use a wear a lot if you come from Cape
1: <laughs> Yeah. Fortunately, I didn't fit them all too well. So uh-huh. not completely cares.
0: <laughs> what was your first girlfriend's name?
1: Your. Would you believe if I said I've never had a girlfriend? I wouldn't. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the truth. Yeah. Genuine. Haven't had a girlfriend.
0: That's going to make the Instagram um, questions coming up real interesting. Really
1: a lot more <laughs> difficult.
0: <laughs> Did you do any other sports at school growing up?
1: So I played cricket when I was really young in like primary school. And then I stopped cricket in, in high school. I sucked at it. Like proper terrible. And then I played quite a bit of hockey until grade nine or ten which I like, I really enjoyed hockey, like the team sport and the like cardio aspect of it was like a lot of fun. And I got hit in the head a couple times. And I was just like, you know what? Fuck this. I want to stick to climbing. It's a much better sport. It's safer. So that was kind of the end of my hockey career.
0: It's safer than hockey. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Uh, When did you first start competing?
1: Yo, I think my first competition was probably in 24. 2013, 2013, no, yes, 2013 was probably my first season, I did pretty, pretty badly, I think I finished in like Gauteng in like 13th place of like 15 climbers, so it wasn't a great season for me, but it was my first one, so I took it on the chin, and then there on, been competing probably every year.
0: So that was what, when you were about 14, 15 years old?
1: 12 in 2013, because like my birthday is the end of the year. My math so, is terrible, clearly. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Sure, started competing at mm, 12 years old.
1: Quite young. Yeah, I think that was my first year of actual climbing. So.
0: What was your first outdoor experience?
1: Oh, Strubens Valley, hey. It was glorious. The The low walls and Kess felt very safe. But yeah. Struben. Who was it with? Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of Brett Nicholson. But he used to run the St. John's climbing, climbing wall there. And he just took all the St. John's kids out climbing. And I was invited along with that. So, it was just a great experience.
0: Okay. Did CARES mm. ever have.
1: No. No, no climbing at CARES. So I started with St. John's, which was an interesting, interesting relationship for being like, we meant to be rival schools.
0: Yeah. Especially mm. in sports. Yeah. yeah. For sure. All righty. Let's. In preparation for this podcast, I asked you to send me a list of five things about yourself. Uh, let's get into those. Okay. Okay. So the first one you sent me was that you are focused on the goal. Yes. Do you want to explain to me about that?
1: So when I said I'm focused on the goal, it's kind of like I've shifted my like complete focus into climbing. It's, it's currently like the, like obsessive power over me. It's all I do. It's all I put my time into It's what I think about. So it's just the, the complete obsession with my life right now. And I don't see that changing anytime soon, but I think when, no, I don't actually think climbing will ever not be my obsession. So that's why I think it's the goal.
0: If you've identified um, goal-focused as a characteristic of self, was there something before climbing that was a goal that you were focused on?
1: Mm, that's a weird one. Like, I didn't think of myself as somebody who would, like, jump around a lot, like, change, like, personalities or ideas of what I wanted to do. But before climbing, I can't really think of anything that really stuck. Like, it, it was kind of – I played hockey. I enjoyed it. I went to school. Didn't really enjoy it but then started climbing and then that just bit completely. So I I don't know, I would say climbing has been the only goal.
0: Okay. And within climbing, you identified your current goal as the Olympics, but pre Olympics, um, can you tell us about Mm. a goal that you had?
1: Yeah. So in, in the beginning of climbing, like, well, for me, it was all outdoor orientated. So it was just about pushing myself outdoors and training inside. And then as when I left high school in 2018, then I kind of shifted my perspective on climbing in competitions and on plastic. And then since then, I've kind of been like, I'm going to try and make make a career out of the indoor side of climbing. I see, I think in in the long run, I'll shift back to outdoors. But right now, it's just about competitions and plastic. There's so many questions (laughs) I want to ask
0: you. (laughs) This is phenomenal. So congratulations on your North Face sponsorship.
1: Mm, thank you very much. That was an interesting situation and I'm really psyched to have finished it off now. So,
0: Explain to me how uh, the sponsorships work because you're also sponsored by La Sportiva. and And what are your kind of agreements between the sponsorships and whether you can even speak about it on a podcast?
1: Yeah, I can definitely speak about it. It's quite an open thing. Um, so for the individual brands, they they're not competition for each other. Sportiva is shoe orientated. They do make a bit of apparel, but it's kind of shorts, t-shirts, pants. While the North Face is kind of specialised gear. Um, so the the two brands don't really clash with each other, which works perfectly for me. But in terms of requirements from me, it's mainly logo visibility and promoting the brand when I'm climbing, when I'm competing, and pretty well most of the time at least. Whenever I'm in like The publicity and in the eye of people i need to promote the brands well
0: what do you know about those brands that you feel you can actually promote so is there is there a ethic behind la sportiva or behind north face because you put in your name on it yeah which means you are supporting it
1: um interesting i've never actually thought about that but sportiva was kind of a a no-brainer for me because when like i remember my first pair of high performance shoes was a pair of solutions from La Sportiva. And it was just since, since then, since 2014 or something, it's, it's been the shoe I wanted to climb in. So it just kind of felt right to go for the brand I loved. It was the brand I wanted to climb. So it just was kind of a perfect opportunity for me. Um, with the North Face, that was kind of, I don't want to say luck, but I think I, I chatted to the guys at the right time. And it, it's a great outdoor brand. It's It's been very prominent in the development of the sport and the communities. And it's a brand which I'd like to get behind.
0: Cool. What is it about the solutions that you like so much?
1: Yeah, I've always said my footwork is atrocious. I suck at technical climbing. And with the solutions being quite a stiff shoe, they have a lot of support. And I've found like it's kind of compensated for my bad footwork, being able to stand on really small edges because of the shoe. (laughs) But otherwise, it just fitted my foot really well. It just, it felt natural to climb in them.
0: Cool. And the development that you were talking about that the North Face has done, what kind of development has happened within South Africa?
1: So South Africa, it's still quite a, quite a small thing happening. Um, There's just the distribution company sector group bringing them in. But so, so there hasn't been a lot of development from the North Face locally, but overseas in the U S for example, like when, when climbing began, they were helping athletes like achieve the goals and whatnot like pushing people to their limits, supplying them with financial means and gear just to do what they really wanted to.
0: Do they also do trips with teams of climbers to go and develop like a range?
1: Um, I'm I'm sure they do. In South Africa, not because it's still, it's very Mm. small. But within Europe and the US, I'm sure they have the North Face outings where they'll go and develop areas and go on expeditions.
0: If that was something that they were to do in South Africa, which area do you think would seek for that kind of development?
1: Yo, that's wild. Hey, eh? I, I don't know. I think climbing oh, South Africa is somewhat, it feels developed. South African climbing and outdoor scene feels quite developed, but I don't know. I think the Drakensberg is probably one of the big areas like that's the big mountains, but I don't know, Southern Cedarburg and the Cedarburg side could be quite cool. I don't know. It all feels a bit too close to home. It doesn't feel that out there in South Africa. Like we don't have snow or extreme snow. So it just doesn't feel that, that extreme. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we don't have an El Cap. Yeah. For sure.
1: Big mountains covered in snow.
0: Okay. Being, let's get back to being goal oriented. Yeah. Do you have a like a support system that helps you be so driven and continue to be so driven?
1: Mm. I'm, I'm very fortunate as my parents do support me. They completely support my climbing and they're helping me like achieve the goals I want to achieve. And then within the, the climbing gyms and the climbing community, I've had quite a few friends like help me like progress along the way, take me outdoors or help me train in the gyms and whatnot. So I think for as much as I want to say, I've gotten to this place on my own, like hard work. I've definitely had the support of the community with like family, friends, and everybody helping me get here.
0: And it's such a cool community like that. Like I I haven't been climbing for a very long time, but I was just welcomed with such open arms. I couldn't Mm. believe how beautiful the the climbing community is.
1: Yeah, it's great. Like the community is super special. Everybody's so welcoming and they want you to come and climb and experience it for yourself, which is the perfect situation.
0: Do you think that that will change with the growth of the sport?
1: Yeah, unfortunately I do. Like currently it's, it's relatively niche still. And I think with more people coming into the scene, not really knowing the ethics and how climbing works, I think it will become a bit more surf-like. You got to be you got to be able to ride away before you're allowed to come and surf there.
0: What if there's a space within the climbing community where we can teach one another those ethics?
1: Mm, definitely, that, that's that's unfortunately riding on the current climbers to help the the beginners get into it. And, like, everybody's guilty, even myself. Like, if I see a kook in the gym, I'm kind of going to try to avoid them just so I don't fall on top of them or have to, like, deal with it. But, yeah, that will come up to the current climbers to help teach the, the ethics of the sport.
0: If there was one thing that you could tell someone that's starting climbing now, uh, like, going in, you should know this thing, what would it
1: be? So there's not, there's not one thing to know. I would say just ask questions. As, as like, climbers are super open, if you ask the question, we're going to answer it and we're going like, to have respect for you and, and want to help you out. But if you just don't ask a question, you don't care about it, then we then might be a bit pissed off. <laughs>
0: well, I'll ask everyone except Chris because he avoids you in the gym. <laughs> I
1: wouldn't say I avoid people, but I like my earphones. But that's, that's an interesting topic because I've thought about it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, when I go to the gym, I'm not going to the gym to socialize. Like, Unfortunately, that's now my place of work. Like it's not a social aspect for me. I do talk shit. I do have fun, but I got my nine to five. That's where I spend my time. That's where I'm meant to be earning my living. So it's an interesting one. It's tricky. i was just joking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know.
0: <laughs> okay. The small things, I believe, is the next thing that you sent me on your list of things about you.
1: Mm. So that's kind of, I like the the rituals you have in your day. So it could be from my warm up, where I arrive at the gym, I do my mobility, I warm up on a hangboard, on a pull-up bar, push-ups, to making my coffee in the morning. I have a marker pot every morning because I like waking up, grinding the beans and doing the marker pot process. So I feel like that's quite a, a special thing which I want to hold on to for a while. Just the, the rituals of your day.
0: Do you have a ritual before you climb?
1: Mm. To a certain extent, like when when the climbing is serious, then yes. But when it's just like arriving in the gym and I'm going to start climbing, not really. So my ritual, for example, before a competition or um, a hard project which I've been trying, so it would literally be harness goes on first, or first go for a bush poo. <laughs> 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 True. Bush poo first, harness on, chalk bag, left shoe, right shoe. No, 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 I lied. Harness, chalk bag, tie-in, left shoe, right shoe, get on. That, that's literally every single time I do it. That, that's the process. When I'm, when I'm consciously thinking about getting ready, that's what I do.
0: Have you given thought as to why that is the sequence of events?
1: Um, not necessarily, but I feel it's just, it, it's the process, which I think I did first, and I'm just like, that works for me. I like that. And it's just stuck.
0: Uh, you've also mentioned here, one of the small things that you enjoy doing is cooking. Mm. Do you like to cook?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm a good cook, but I like the, the experimental aspect of it. Just putting stuff together to see what it tastes like in the end. So I don't know. I don't really follow recipes. I kind of cook what I want to taste and I just go by like that.
0: How often is it terrible?
1: Not that often, actually. It works out pretty well. Like you got your basics, your tomato base and a pasta, and then you winning. Then everybody's happy. You put a bit of protein and then life's great. Well, how's the process of these podcasts going to, like, progress? Because right now we're sitting in your living room and we're having to be super delicate. Are you going to get a booth at some point and then start doing it? Is, Is there a way to deal with it?
0: My dream is for it to be mobile. Cool. Because climbers are everywhere and they're up and they're down and you need to be able to have record conversations with them where they are. So I hope so. I hope that it will progress to a point where we have good sound quality that can also be mobile and that I don't have to rig a van for it because that's how I've heard that other people have done it. Um, But right now, you being our first (laughs) uh, interview, this is is what we've got. And I think it's going to work. I think it's going to work pretty well. This is already a whole lot more than... I had when I started this thing <laughs> thank you good vibes cartel a <laughs> um yeah
1: no I'm definitely psyched to see the beginning process of it so happy to be a part of it thank you yeah
0: one day I'll maybe have a studio that's like built in and people can just come and record things I don't know we'll see
1: yeah be cool
0: <laughs> yeah I think so all righty let's get back to dealing with problems which is the third item on your list?
1: Um, so that's kind of coming from probably more so within the climbing space um, because climbing is problem solving. It's kind of thinking on your feet immediately, especially when you're like lead climbing because you get to a certain sequence and you don't really know what to do. And so you're kind of faced with that situation every time you climb, being able to deal with the problems. And I find that kind of helps out with your everyday life all of a sudden you're a bit more open to a challenge. You don't completely panic and freeze up when something doesn't go your way. You can kind of manage it. And I think that's a, a very valuable lesson climbing taught me being able to deal with situations life throws at you.
0: There was a Instagram question when I get to it. I'll say who it's from, but it comes in so perfectly here. It asked you how you deal with the anxieties and the nervousness surrounding climbing. What are the tools that you've been given through climbing?
1: Yeah, um, that's quite a interesting one because it kind of differs in every situation. I was talking about, like, for example, in competitions, there there's certain strategies you can use to combat your nerves. It can either be like I'm sitting in complete silence and just trying to process what you're about to do, or it can be talking with a friend and trying to take your mind off of it the the actual strategy in which you use that depends on the situation. It depends on how you feel on the day and and how those nerves actually feel within your body.
0: Can you tell the difference between the nerves? Like I feel this, oh I think how speaking with someone will help me. Or take can you tell the difference in those nerves?
1: Currently no, not a chance. But in the situation you can generally you can feel what's right. If you like, oh I'm really not enjoying speaking. Then you just don't speak. If you're like you, oh, I don't like sitting here in silence. I'm getting overwhelmed by nerves and whatnot. Then, then you deal with it.
0: That takes quite a bit of awareness, I would imagine.
1: I think years of practice have just helped with that. So, but yeah, in the beginning, it's you kind of it's trial trial by error. You make the mistake. You go, that didn't work for me. Let me try something different next time. So I've gotten to a point now where it just kind of works.
0: You also mentioned in, I'm guessing it was a problem that you've identified is that you were a smaller climber competing in a men's competition.
1: Mm, In the, in the very beginning, I was, I, I grew quite late. So I was always kind of struggling with my reach and my heights and whatnot. And overall, I think it benefited me. Like I learned to deal with, with problems that other guys could just kind of reach through. And I was kind of presented with, you know what? You can't do it because you can't get there. It just doesn't work for you. And having to deal with that kind of failure, that sucks. When there's when it's completely out of your capabilities to make it work, that's a real tough one to be in. And I think that shaped me as a climber right now.
0: So what do you do when you can't reach
1: it? You go home, you wait a couple of years and you grow. <laughs> it's that simple. <laughs> Looking
0: at uh, the international... Co- competitions you also identified the difference between climb the climbing culture in south africa compared to the rest of the world as a problem why would you say that is a problem
1: um so that's kind of i think the mass of people within the community the climbing community in south africa is quite small and relatively niche so you kind of you have to be in it to to know what's going on while in europe and the u.s it's 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 everybody's basically a climber like when you're walking in the streets in, in Innsbruck, for example, you say, I'm a sport climber, I'm here to compete. And people know exactly what's going on. They ask you intelligent questions like, what have you climbed? How long are you, how's your training going? They can talk about training cycles with you, which is, which is something I'd like to see in the South African community at some point when it's, it's seen as the same as rugby, as, as the other major sports. It's, it's what people do as a recreational activity
0: but without it becoming like surfing?
1: Hmm. I don't know. I think there, there are going to be some people which just don't fit the community we want and they're going to still climb and we're just going to have to deal with that. But if we can just have the general general group of people being open about it, being friendly, then, then we're on the right path.
0: Uh, when we consider international climbing and the international culture... You mentioned you trained in Innsbruck for a while. What was that about? Were you competing in Innsbruck?
1: Um, So Innsbruck is the center of the competition climbing scene. At least that's how I feel, especially within Europe. It's got a huge climbing facility where pretty much all the teams from around the world travel to, to go and train in. So me going to Innsbruck was, one, because I was on the competition circuit and I was in Europe and it just felt like the correct place to go to. And then two, because it is, it's the best training facility currently. And it it just, it's something which I think every competition climber should go and experience to, to walk in there and see a strong climber from almost every nation from across the world is incredible.
0: Did you meet anyone interesting there?
1: So many people, like the probably, probably the coolest encounter I had in, in Austria was I actually met an, an ex South African. He's immigrated to Austria now. And I didn't really know who he was. Like I'd heard of, so his name's Pete Janchek. I'd heard of him and like, I know he's done, he did some developing in the in the 80s, but I didn't really know of him. And then all of a sudden, like I'm staying at his place, I'm drinking his coffee, like like we're chatting about it. And he just starts like unloading the amount of climbing history he's done from getting first ascents in Yosemite to like expeditions in Patagonia to the Drakensberg. And that was a crazy experience for me a South a South African to be in Europe who I didn't really know about. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Do we
0: have a place uh, a forum where we record so South African climbers where we record things like that?
1: I'm not too sure. I think Climb ZA is currently the the only forum we have, open forum, but I think it's abused in the wrong in the wrong way. Why? It's kind of turning into just like a place to sell all your old climbing gear and for people to rant. But that's about it. It's not it's not I don't think it's very productive right now. Obviously there are some some articles which are quite good. Like people people actually put time and effort into their articles and then it's then it's a good place to be. But I think it's sometimes bombarded with with trolls.
0: Like anything in the internet, yeah. unfortunately. I'm not done with dealing with problems. So I'm going to circle back to it one more time. Um, International climbing and the change in the culture. Have you climbed quite a bit outdoors internationally? And what would you say the difference in the ethics is versus climbing outdoors in South Africa?
1: Um, I haven't done much climbing outdoors overseas, unfortunately, just with all my travels it's been for competitions and training. Um, The little climbing I have done was actually in Italy. Um, and it, it was great And I don't think the, the ethics are that different Besides the sheer number of people at the crags You kind of got to be a bit more open to a busy crag Which is, which is okay But sometimes if, if you want to have a crag to yourself Come to Africa Come climb down here <laughs> uh,
0: What would you say is a busy crag? Use a, a local comparison
1: on a on a beginner's weekend Where you have to queue to get on a route
0: so there's what, like 20 or 30 people at the bottom?
1: Yeah. Oh, let, let's say on on a, on a one specific crag, you probably have 40 people in the crag. And then the classic routes are obviously getting more traffic. So you kind of have to like get in a queue, wait 15, 20 minutes before you can climb.
0: Okay. Where in Italy was that?
1: Um, Arco. So just, it's northern part of Italy by Lake Garda. I climbed an area called um, Masona. I actually tried tried the famous underground. The first 9a in italy which was quite cool and how'd it go yeah it was good like i could do all the moves um the start of it was really cool you're literally standing on this pedestal and you do the superman jump like a meter and a half thank goodness you've clipped your first bolts but literally just superman all limbs in the air and you jump onto this curler of a jug glorious climbing and then you just kind of like climb these big rails through this super steep roof
0: would you say the First move is the crux of it.
1: Not a chance. <laughs> it's like it's an easy move. It's just very committing and scary because you're close to the ground. If, if that first draw wasn't in, you'd just dive down this hole and never come out again.
0: <laughs> Where would you say is the crux on, on underground?
1: So underground's got two crux sequences. There's So you, you do the first move and then you climb maybe four bolts and you have maybe a 7C, 7C plus boulder, which you got to do to a no hands rest. And then you climb another... Pretty easy, juggy section to the final crux, turning the lip. And that lip sequence is also maybe 70 plus, 8A boulder. And then once you're on the head wall, just got to keep it together. It's an interesting one because that area was actually a quarry. So essentially it's artificial, but they've taken all the soft rock out and the rock which was left behind the hard rock has actually shaped those holds. So it's kind of like natural but at the same time it's artificial
0: okay and where did you come off on the roof
1: i I fell off on the first crux um and then just sussed moves continued to the second crux tried moves up there and then went to the chains um didn't do it but just had fun trying it only gave it one attempt so fault the moves and enjoyed it
0: there'll be another one i'm sure
1: hopefully hopefully a prouder line a what a prouder line to just with um with underground, it's kind of, a, it's in a quarry. So you have the floor and the roof running parallel to each other. So like you'll climb 10 meters, but you're still three meters off the ground because you're just climbing out this hole. So it kind of seems like you're crawling in a cave. So a, a big proud line could be quite cool.
0: Okay. So. Let's move to your
1: stubbornness. <laughs> Yo, I think when, when I said I'm stubborn, it's just kind of, I want to climb well and I want to climb well the whole time. And when I don't climb well, I get disappointed. So it's kind of getting frustrated for stuff, which is kind of out of your control. Like your body does fatigue. It just happens as part of life, but I don't want to fatigue and it could be anything. I don't know. Stubborn is, I don't know if it was the right term to use, but I don't know. I think to, to really throw yourself at climbing, you have to be a bit stubborn in, in the way you approach it. I'm not too sure how to explain it.
0: <laughs> I would have to agree with you on that point just because there's so much failing involved, or for me at least. Just all the time, and then you have to go back, and again, and oh, again, okay, go back the next day.
1: Mm. Where, where would you say being stubborn has been beneficial?
0: It does, it gives you the motivation to just carry on when you probably shouldn't, or try again, when it hurts a little bit too much or whatever the case may be. And like you say, it's a very, very fine line between that and injuring yourself. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been trying for eight months. I know it all.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Like you hear those horror stories of people throwing themselves at their projects for years.
0: James Barnes just did a project that he's been trying for 10 years.
1: (laughs) Is that stubborn? Is it good character? (laughs) Insanity. What are we looking at? Climbing. It's the best.
0: <laughs> do you think stubbornness is a negative characteristic?
1: Um, Certain situations, maybe. Um, when, when you let it kind of like rule you. So you could like, sometimes I've been stubborn as in, no, I don't want to try this route because I want to get a bit stronger before I do it. And then I think it's been a bit negative. But as you said, like, throwing yourself at a project which – is close to going and not giving up then it's not a negative so it's kind of on the fence between positive and positive and negative
0: how many of your send goes is that last stubborn i really maybe shouldn't but i'm gonna anyway
1: i'm terrible at projecting i freaking hate it i get so overwhelmed with the emotions about it essentially if i can't do the route within the first six attempts i'm kind of like you know what i'm over this i don't want to try it anymore Thank goodness I've got such good mates which are kind of like, Chris, stop being stupid. Just try it. You're going to do it now. Just make it happen. And the amounts of times like, for for example, I give you, I can give you an exact example. When I was in Otsur in 2019 in December, I was trying a route called Street Fighter and I literally fell at the last hold, like going for the last hold and then you clip the chains and it's a jug, like it's a good hold. Fall off this thing, it's like five o'clock in the evening. So sun's kind of starting to go down. And my mate Mul, oh, I'm like, you know what, help this. I'm back to the campsite. I'll do it tomorrow. I don't care. And then Mul's like, Chris, dude, just come on one more attempt. And I'm like arguing with him. I'm like, bro, I don't want to climb. I'm over this. I'm tired. And Mel's like, stop being a bitch. Get on the wall and go and climb this thing. And then I'm like, yes, Mul, get on the wall and then send it. And then obviously I'm like, woo, so psych, super happy. And Mel's kind of like just sitting there, like, I told you. <laughs>
0: Uh, it's interesting that you mentioned his name, Her name?
1: Mul him, him, Mul Janssen van Rensburg, Boven local. So
0: oh. I don't know him, but there was an Instagram question about him. When are you? Yeah. Carlo wants to know when you're going to overtake him on 8a.nu.
1: <laughs> That's been a fricking never ending cycle between him and I. Like we argue about it every time we see each other. Um, Unfortunately, Mal is very talented. He's a very good climber. So I don't know. It's when I get stronger.
0: <laughs>
1: what is 8a.nu? 8a.nu is an online platform to log your climbing grades or log your climbing routes. Um, and it's quite cool because you get points for the different climbs you do. So I think 8a, which is 30 in South African terms, gives you 1,000 points. And your top 10 points or your top 10 routes for a 12-month period Goes towards your overall ranking, um, and then with your overall ranking, you can, comp- you can get a ranking between the other South Africans in the pool and a world ranking. So you can literally pull up and see what the current rankings are. I don't know if you are pulling that up now. Now
0: that's exactly what I'm doing. What's your current ranking?
1: I think I'm I'm second in the lead. I might be a bit behind because you lose you lose roots every twelve months. That's
0: the truth. Second.
1: Second. And bouldering, well, let's actually pull up the exact ranking. Let's have a look. Yeah, Mull's a freaking crusher. He's so strong. He's always climbing hard stuff, which is great.
0: Do you compete with one another or um, push one another to be better?
1: Yeah, definitely. We're always climbing together. It's, it's not necessarily a competition, but it's a... It's a... <sighs> Because it's not an ego thing either. we kind of having fun, but within sport, competition is enjoyable. And we're not trying to beat each other, but we're trying to push each other, which is the situation. So yeah, Mull is literally... Oh, he's 100 points ahead of me. Damn. That's like an 8A plus or something. Hmm. Unreal. I'm coming, Mal. I'm coming.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh Sick.
1: Yeah, but I remember... In like 2017, Mull overtook me. And since then, I've always been trying to catch up. And he's always been like a couple hundred points ahead of me. And then at one point this season, I overtook him. And then the next day he goes and climbs something hard and overtakes me. And I'm just like, flip, I can never have it. (laughs) The lead is never mine.
0: (laughs) But that's how the sport grows.
1: No, it's great. It's great. It's very cool.
0: Okay, so the last thing that you've identified as part of who you are is that you're motivated to explore.
1: Yeah, so with with climbing, I'm oh not with climbing with life. I'm really psyched to experience it all. Just kind of see see where it takes you. So for as much as I love climbing, I do want to do other things. Quite recently, I've I'm really keen to get into the music side of of life and just kind of practice in that and and experience it. Um, surfing when I was down in Durban with James. One of my mates, I've never surfed and I've been a water person, but I'm like, let's go surfing. It's just, it's experiencing life to the fullest. How was
0: your first surfing experience?
1: Terrible. I thought I was going to drown. <laughs> yeah, no, that that was an interesting one because no matter how hard I fought the the waves to try and like go where I wanted to go, it just wasn't happening. I was just getting dragged the opposite direction. And it was a, interesting having to try and like calm yourself down to relax and and just you know you're fine and not gonna die but at the same time try and get out of the water
0: <laughs> and not die <laughs> and not
1: die
0: <laughs> i did my first surfing lesson um now in december it's a lot harder than it looks
1: much more difficult interesting muscle groups hey your shoulders start burning
0: yeah but it's it's hard work
1: mm. where were you surfing in musenburg oh lecker it's always fun That is cool.
0: Surf in the morning, climb in the afternoon. If I lived there, I would never work, ever.
1: Like Cape Town lifestyle, it's something special, hey? Mountains and ocean right there. It's perfect.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Even though we've given the surfers so much crap already.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Or we've given the very niche side of the surfing community a lot of shit. But in terms of a sport, it's a great sport. So, and a good lifestyle, I think.
0: Okie dokie. You say that you're interested in snow sports.
1: Do you snowboard? Um, so I went with my family to France where we went like skiing and snowboarding and I got snowboard for the first time and I took to it so quickly and it was great. If if I wasn't a climber, I think I'd be snowboarding as much as I could. So it's definitely something I want to do more if there was only more snow in South Africa, but hopefully with some, some European travels, I get to do a bit more of it.
0: How old were you when you went on that trip?
1: Maybe 15, I think. So quite a while ago.
0: Have you ever considered climbing up someone, something and snowboarding on the other side? Like, up one <laughs> side, down the other.
1: Sounds a bit cold for climbing for me. I, I like the this warmer weather. I would say, like, 15 degrees. That's a good temperature. But that's not great for snow.
0: Is that when the connies are perfect?
1: Connies are a myth. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Do you tell. No, we've just got to... No, it's like... People... So conditions are not a myth. Conditions are a real thing. The weather does change, unfortunately. <laughs> but people start to use conditions as an excuse. Like not not even from, oh, no, I slipped off this hold because it's it's moist or the, air, the wind is moist. It's I'm not going to go climbing today because I can see some clouds over there. And it's kind of like, dude, what do you mean? Like, come on, let's go climbing. Every day you wake up is a day to go climbing. Let's go do it. And then people would just kind of go, no, the conditions are bad. So the inside joke with actually Mull and I started with conditions are a myth. And just, just be stronger and then conditions won't matter. <laughs> key to every key to life's problems, be stronger and then it doesn't matter.
0: Or climb all day, every day is what it sounds like.
1: That's another option.
0: <laughs> yeah. How's how's the podcast interview experience?
1: Interesting. It's trying trying to find the line between answering questions and having a conversation because like general conversations aren't really like question, 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 and then like talking about it. So it's kind of more like free flowing, but it's, it's working pretty well. I'm enjoying it.
0: Like a, and we also don't know one another. Actually, this mm. is the first time we met was the other day talking about this podcast. Yeah. So the the listeners are experiencing how you and I are getting to know one another.
1: Yeah. I'm glad they can be, be a part of that following the process.
0: Absolutely. You asked me a question before we took a little break. Can you remember what it was?
1: Well, what, so what I asked when we first met up was how did this idea come to, come to mind? How long has it been in the pipeline? What made you want to do this?
0: I listened to quite a lot of podcasts in general, climbing podcasts specifically and other things, but mostly climbing podcasts. When I started climbing, eight months ago, I just wanted to consume as much about it as I could. I've watched every documentary. If there's a new one, I know about it. I've listened to so many hours of podcasts. I listened to 20,000 minutes of podcasts in six months last year, which works out to an average of two hours a day, every day for six months. Um, I also have a day job, (laughs) so... In between working and stuff, I listen to podcasts. And I was looking for a local South African podcast. I wanted to know more about South African climbers and South African news within climbing. And I just really couldn't find anything. And then as I was getting to know the climbing community and really connecting with them, they're so cool. They're such cool people. I've never met a community that's so authentic from the word go. And especially when I was discussing, or well, I was actually hearing some frustration surrounding sexism within climbing. And I thought that it would, something like that is definitely something we should discuss, but we need a platform for it. Mm. And so I started the sense Space.
1: Yo, that sounds very cool. Very excited it's, it's happening. Do you have some big topics which are you wanting to record? If you, can, yeah. if you can share that with us.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I would love to talk about climbing as a self-regulating sport and community. And as the climbing community and the sport grow, climbers need to be involved because if we're not involved, then it's going to be taken over by corporate structures and the bottom line and different motivations to the motivations that are currently within the climbing community, which I have experienced as really only compassion and love. For us to continue that culture within climbing, we have to be involved in the economics of climbing as well. Because as soon as money comes into climbing with the Olympics and the motives start changing, that's when I think the culture of a sport starts changing. So if we could have a platform like Senspace where we are addressing these issues and we're talking to one another and we are connecting small business owners with one another with the same culture, then we can have a say in what what happens.
1: Mm, that's that's a lot of big things to process.
0: There's so many big things. I've had so many big ideas going into this and I know that most of it is is romanticized and it's all going to change every day anyway. I mean, right now... What I want out of the podcast platform is a couple of years from now, South African climbers, the the country around, all with their own microphone and uh, recording devices, sending in recording episodes, finding out stories, talking to people, and sending in their episodes to be part of this platform. And that big idea of everyone else joining in, and not even only South Africa like within South Africa, but South Africans traveling who they meet, what they do, what they see, what's happening, what's the difference between that and South Africa, how much crime do they experience, how much crime have they experienced here, and unique South African ideas, and taking them into the world, but recording them on a South African platform. Uh, So I don't know if that's ever going to happen, and that idea really only came to after a discussion I had with someone on Saturday night. Like, before that, it was something else. But as we input into sand space as you input into sand space as good vibes cartel inputs into sand space wordsmiths puts into sand space it changes every day and the moment that it stops changing with its people is the moment it becomes irrelevant so it must always be changing
1: Mm, well that's the cool thing with the climbing community it's a consistent growing being it's never standing still which is great and it's going to be something special to follow
0: I think so too. I think it could be really cool. Imagine now, so the, the podcast big idea, then also vocal and oral communication, that's just my platform. Other people communicate in other ways. There's a written publication coming. There's a whole bunch, maybe even a gallery of people's photos or art or whatever climbing inspires them to do. And uh communicating with each other through those things. That's like the the big idea behind it of us all communicating with each other.
1: Mm. Yeah, the, the communication is gonna be quite key in the in the long run. Um but just talking, you said you commented on the on the gallery side. I was actually chatting with with Wez, um Antonitas, and I was like, yo, it could be so cool if we on like maybe a three months, depending on how long it would work, is people submit a photograph and then it's voted and then they hang the photograph on the wall in the climbing gym and that's going to hang there for the three months. And then at the end of the year, you have an auction or a giveaway and people can buy the photographs which have been taken. Obviously, like it needs to be a professional image, but and I just thought that could be quite cool for community involvement, which is the same thing the Sense Space is wanting. Absolutely. Huge community involvement.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the more... We do that, the more we promote small businesses within the climate community, local South African businesses. Oh, that's such a great idea. Mm.
1: Yeah. Oh, um, big things are happening, hey? Big things are happening.
0: Imagine, imagine just for a second that it was possible that we actually do all of these things. And then imagine we didn't try.
1: <laughs> that would be a sad day. Be a right? very sad day. <laughs>
0: so even if nobody listens... Or if nobody reads the written publication, imagine we didn't at least try.
1: Yeah, we would have done ourselves injustice, but that's about it. Exactly. So, yeah, but also just thinking about it, you're saying um, the climbing community going into the corporate side. I think it's it's important because the financial aspect within the community is important, but it's about keeping your roots strong. So we do need to go into the corporate aspect of climbing, but I also feel like it's going to be quite a interesting perspective on it because the outdoor climbing especially, it's it's dirty. You're playing in the mud and I think the people which well, not the people but the the elements which could destroy that that natural side of climbing aren't going to venture that far. It's because it's it's out there, it's extreme. The climbing gyms, they are More at risk because you go into the climbing gym, you can get, order yourself a cappuccino. You can get something vegan. It's, it's lecker.
0: At risk of what?
1: Um, the, the climbing, the climbing eating itself up. It becoming too mainstream, too corporate, too money-based. I'm I'm trying to think of a sport which has gone that way or a, or a community. Um,
0: I think that's how all the sports started. Rugby, cricket, all of them started as a community having a jaw. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, like, as I was saying, like becoming a commercial thing, like football, which was the example, um, the, the scene has completely changed. It's now more about making money than doing it for the lifestyle. Like, I wonder how many of the players when they retire would just go play football. Like, when I finish climbing, when I finish competition climbing, I've got a whole life within the outdoor scene. It's not going to be over.
0: Thanks for listening all the way till the end. We appreciate it. There will be more episodes with Chris, so keep a lookout. If you enjoyed that podcast and you want to send us some love, donate through our SnapScan or our banking details. You can find it on our website. You can also find our email and our Instagram. Please contact us for a value exchange or really for anything. Tell us what you want to hear, what you liked, what you didn't like. Most importantly, rate, review, and share this podcast.